Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and joining me in the virtual studio from South Bend, Indiana, is my good friend and compatriot and the man who wrote the theme song for the Jetsons, the one and only Ken Hellenius. Ken, how are you doing, my friend? I would prefer if you would refer to me as your boy Elroy, actually, <laughs> go, going forward. <laughs> <laughs> just the other day we were chatting about the uh, the jetsons theme song because of course you know the question always comes up when we talk about how society has progressed and science is getting better and all these kinds of things the question is always yeah where's my flying car right i mean because that's what everybody wants to know spacely sprockets all the good stuff from the jetsons but everybody just wants the flying car and uh yeah, yeah right. uh, what can i say science get on that please <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how are how are things at south bend i'm sure you're gearing up uh for students this is actually the week students uh students are back in, in class ah, this week so yeah, yeah it's uh it's very exciting uh you know we're back we're we're in person again uh and um everybody's uh just starting to get the everybody of course when it comes to education you want to make sure you get your money's worth and so that means uh everybody's excited the the joy of a new school year is uh is palpable um and it's so good to see um to see students back campus is great when in the summer when when it's quiet but it's even better in the exciting fall so yeah we're we're delighted to be back in in class how about well, you? I'm sure, that, I'm sure there's construction projects going on. That's the one <laughs> thing about Notre Dame. They're always building something out there. Constantly. So. Yes. As yeah. a matter of fact, I think, uh, um, yeah, they're, they're working on a brand new building right next to the main building, uh, uh, kind of a new a new um, hall for uh, a couple of the education programs. And, uh, yeah, constantly uh, building and opening new residence halls. That's something that is constant because they're always, you know, an important part of uh, the Holy Cross uh, education is this um, being in person and being, you know, on campus. So we don't do a lot of uh, distance learning kind of stuff, uh, but it's very much important that we have a high presence on campus, which is part of why even over the last year with COVID and things like that, there was it was so important to us that we have students with us on campus rather than um, rather than kind of remote learning and things like that. So, yep, lots of uh, lots of construction always, but uh, here we are in. Uh, even in the midst of construction, they they continue to cram people into the buildings that we already have. So it's fun. <laughs> awesome, yeah. awesome, very hey, good. You're well. Very good. Yeah, yeah, things are going well. I'm still cranking on the book, uh, uh, Catholic Response to Racism: Building a Civilization of Love. You know, so that's going well, and um, starting to ramp up some speaking again. You know, is going going in, in September. You know, even more in October and. You know, so, uh, yeah, wrapping up. I think it'll be really busy um, next year. But yeah. this is good. This is kind of a warm-up to kind of get back into it. Kind of kind of dust the uh, dust the pipes off and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. I think exactly. you mentioned uh, before we started recording that you had recently done a, uh, a, 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 what was it, an apologetics camp? Yeah, for teenagers, for high schoolers. Okay. 
in uh, Tenset, Idaho, population 125. <laughs> uh, it was actually through the Spokane uh, Diocese. Okay. And that was great. Yeah, about 60 kids there and adults there. And uh, the camp was uh, actually was, was uh, pretty nice. You now, know, what do you uh, speak about when you do one of these? Kind of what were the presentations yeah, so, you gave? Yeah, so the, the ones I gave was a, 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 actually a talk I developed during COVID called Staying Awake in a Woke Culture. Okay. So we talked about uh, the cancel culture and what that is and what kinds of and how that is affecting Catholics. But then I talked about, well, what things aren't they canceling, like Planned Parenthood, like um, pornography, you know, like yeah. all, like all these transgenderism, all these different things that they're not that are not being they give voice to that. But you give voice to a to a, a, a position that's counter to that, then they silence you. And then I talked about how we can overcome that. Like, what kinds of things can we do to deal with the council? Because that was the first talk. Then the second talk was Apologetics 101. Gave him some basic tools to defend uh, Catholic, uh, defend the Catholic faith on certain positions. So I And that talk always varies depending on what they want me to cover. Sure. So um, I, atheism was huge, especially for that age group. So I had to deal with the atheist question. So I dealt with atheism. I dealt with, uh, and I, and then I added one myself, Jesus Christ present in the Eucharist, especially oh, coming sure. back after COVID and, uh, coming back to mass and, and, you know, getting into, so I, th I think a, a real strong emphasis on Christ's presence in the Eucharist, I think was very important. And of course, um, if, you know, we just celebrated not too long ago, the solemnity of, um, the assumption. Mm -hmm. So I talked about the blessed mother as part of that talk, uh, as well. So, so I covered those. And then the, the final talk was uh, about pro-life evangelization. What, what can we do to effectively bring the message of life into this, uh, as St. John Paul II said, this culture of death? How do we, especially as teenagers, how can they do it? Yeah. You know, and I talked about some heroic teenagers in the scriptures. David was a teenager. Blessed Virgin Mary was a teenager. <laughs> right. <laughs> a Samuel. Right. When he got his call in the temple with the priest Eli in First Samuel, he was a teenager. So uh, Solomon, when he took over for King David, was a teenager. So, I mean, teenagers have amazing things in the scriptures. And I said, you know, we could do the same thing in our time. We just have to have the courage of the saints, you know. And and, and that was the, the final talk. So it was great. Had a wonderful time. Always inspiring to hear an old man like you tell the teenagers <laughs> that they can be something. <laughs> An old man that still has passion. That's right. Know? That's right. Absolutely. Well, that sounds awesome. And, and uh, you know, uh, I mean, I don't want to get people all excited for future uh, shows, but uh, we need to revisit some of those topics ourselves here on Living Stones and ha maybe have you give a little fervorino for us so that we, too, can can uh, pick up and carry that carry that message to the world. Sure. Absolutely. Be happy to. Well, it's it's awesome that you were talking about uh, evangelizing the pro-life culture and building that, because that, of course, is what we have been chatting about here on the show for the last number of weeks as we've been reading together Pope John Paul II's encyclical Evangelium Vitae on the Gospel of Life. And uh, we're going to pick up our conversation tonight with uh, paragraph 85, uh, and we're actually in the uh, the last full chapter of the encyclical, uh, which is all about building the new culture of life and kind of returning to this, to this vision that celebrates human dignity and that recognizes it in all peoples. And, um, as we talked about kind of last week, um, John Paul in this chapter kind of sets out 
uh, kind of a three-pronged approach to building a culture of life. And he talks about uh, the first is to proclaim the gospel of life. The second is to celebrate the gospel of life. And the third is to serve the gospel of life. And so we're in right now, we're picking up the conversation as we explore celebrating the gospel of life. And um, paragraph 85, um, he proposes something really delightful. He says, um, I propose that a day for life be celebrated each year in every country, as already established in some places by some groups of bishops. Um, and I think that this is a really great idea. The idea, this celebration of life should re- should reflect the various cultural experiences that celebrate the newborn and the elderly. Some societies and some cultures in around the world do a much better job than often we do here in, in the United States uh, in celebrating, particularly the elderly and, res- uh, you know, kind of respect for and and embracing the wisdom that they bring. Um, but the, the idea that this day for life should really be a reflection of the local culture, but also one that celebrates and builds that local culture. Uh, and I think this is something that, you know, even though Pope John Paul II, II wrote this in 1995, we've not necessarily seen this come to fruition yet. But by gum, I think we should. And I think we should do something to, to kind of bring this about. Well, I know here in the United States, you know, we have a couple of things. I have October, which is kind yep. of a pro-life awareness month. And of course, we have in January, the March for Life every yeah. year in Washington, D.C. So at least in the United States, we have a, a couple of times a year where we bring full awareness. And then, of course, if the readings during the cycle of readings on Sunday lend themselves to a pro-life message, and then you may hear preaching on on pro-life there as well. And then we have 40 Days for Life, of course, um, during Advent and Lent. You know, they they have uh, events, you know, that bring awareness. So um, I think in our country, I mean, with when it comes to um, the pre-born, I think we could be doing more for the elderly. Yes. You know, um, I, I know my good friends down in San Antonio, Texas, through the Pilgrim Center of Hope, Deacon Tom and Mary Jane Fox, have started, um, they do a number of conferences. They do a women's conference, which is wildly successful, a men's conference, they do pilgrimages. They just started a conference for the elderly. Oh, wow. You know, and, and, yeah. and so it, it's wonderful. And I've never, I said, wow, you know, a, a, conference, a, a conference, not about them, but for them. Yes. For the, for the issues that they're dealing with. And I was like, wow, how powerful is that? You yeah. know, and they still feel they have a voice. They still feel their, their what they have to say. And the witness of their life is important in the church. And to celebrate that by having a conference, we're not, again, not just talking about issues with regard to elderly, but, the ha- but for them, and where, you know, where them, they're actually yeah. encouraged to come and talk about things that are important in their lives. That's, uh, that's wonderful. I think we need to be uh, doing more of that. Japan does a great job with that. Right. Uh, right. And, and some countries in Africa, because they have this sense of ancestor, right? Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. The, the, the ans- and so the elderly are seen as that, you know, not um, revered, you know, yes. um, people that, that have this wealth of knowledge. And it's, you know, and when you talk about ancestors, for Christianity, we're not taking a Christian stamp and stamping it over the idea of ancestors. We're not Christianizing it. What we're, what we're doing is recognizing that when we talk about ancestors, we're talking about the saints, right? Yes. What does it say in the Eucharistic prayer? Those who have gone before us marked with the sign of faith. Right. You know, and we hope to live with our ancestors forever in heaven. Right? I mean, yep. so, so you see how these earthly images, even in movies, right? Uh, 
these Disney movies, some have this idea of these ancestors, like Moana or something like that, where his ancestors and, you know, kind of um, ancestor we're in touch with our ancestors and things like that. All yeah. of that are precursors toward the fullness of that expression, which is saints in heaven and, you know, spirits in purgatory and, and those kinds of things. Um, and so to celebrate the whole continuum of life, I think would we'll, we'll give a much stronger voice and bring a much deeper perspective. And I think in the end, be more attractive uh, yeah. to people because we're, because they say you're so one issue. All you guys talk about is life before the, in the womb, you know? And, well, that's not all we talk about. I mean, we have a much larger voice than that, but, but to give more clear expression to the continuum, I think would be um, a, a, a wonderful way of living out what John Paul II is, is teaching here in celebrating culture of life. You know, I'm really glad you, you, you know, kind of mentioned the idea of, of course, the month of October is Respect Life Month. The first Sunday of October is Respect Life Sunday. That's the day every year when uh, my office at the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture at Notre Dame, when we announce the next um, recipient of the Notre Dame Evangelium Vitae Medal, which honors pro-life witness, a lifetime achievement for pro-life uh, witness and building the culture of life. So that's entirely true uh, in terms of w- we have we have uh, occasions for this. Um, and well, Deacon Nicholson is really important because the 40 Days for Life, the, those touch the people in the pew. But yeah. the Deacon Nicholson, you know, brings it up a level to academics and to Students, right? Because you have students yeah. that are part of all that. So the next mess, the next uh, generation of thinkers, yeah, right. The next generation of scholars, the next generation of teachers and catechists in this area of life are being developed through the Nicholas Center. So that that's extremely important as well. It's a it's a joy to to be in this work, absolutely, and and it flows from. I mean, obviously, that medal that we give is in honor of, and inspired by Pope John Paul II, and and this great encyclical. So yeah, that's. Uh, by the way, this idea of a day for life is not to be confused with the fictional celebration that gave rise to 1978's Star Wars Holiday Special, uh, in which Chewbacca and Han Solo visit. Uh, Chewbacca's home planet to celebrate the Wookiee holiday life day. So I don't want there to be any confusion. Uh, John Paul II wrote this without reference to uh, the Star Wars holiday special. So I just want to get that out of the way because I know that thought is probably in the back of the minds of several of our listeners. Okay. So. Well, thank you, Ken. Uh, you're welcome. Always bringing the important, the important distinction between pop culture and culture of life. Okay. Uh, so. Paragraph 86 takes this idea and and concretizes it for our daily life, because he says that the gospel of life is to be celebrated above all in daily living, which should be filled with self-giving love for others. We have to, you know, even to the point of heroism is what he calls for. Uh, for an example, uh, you know, a heroic self-gift would be something like organ donation, which provides hope to the sick who are in despair. You know, um, motherhood is... A, a supreme heroic self-sacrifice. You know, the the women who devote themselves to their families often without celebration and without being necessarily uh, recognized or or celebrated for what they're for you know the sacrifices that they make. This is a daily gift of of self directly for others. And this is what we are called to celebrate the the gospel of life in our daily life. Each and every one of us is called to 
be self-gift and to give the gift of ourselves to others. Um, and this is something that, uh, that that John Paul calls and encourages us to do. Again, these aren't you know public celebrations, but they are everyday lived expressions. Yeah, and another beautiful aspe- aspect of the heroism, he talks about brave mothers. You know, not yeah. to the detriment of fathers, but he says that brave mothers who devote themselves to their family without reserve, who's suffering giving birth to their children, and when are ready to make any effort uh, to face any sacrifice in order to pass on to them the best of themselves. Right? That's that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, it's funny. I was watching a little, um, like I said, I, I, I usually don't watch television, but during COVID, I watch a little more than normal. And I was <laughs> watching this show. I forget what it was, some uh, police officer show. And one of the police officers had just uh, helped this lady uh, deliver a baby in a movie theater. And uh, he has a, a female officer that's that's a, a, his partner. And so they walk after he after she saw this guy her giving you know helping this lady give birth and all this stuff and you know she walks out she goes did you see her face she fell in love with that child as soon as she saw him you know i yeah she was like i want to experience that one day you know so i was like how awesome is that yeah you know, just to see that and this woman officer wasn't particularly religious but to, but to have that beautiful experience of of watching a mother give birth and then seeing her child for the first time that she grew in her womb for nine months. And now she's got this bond, this connection there and, and to just see that and just to witness that. And that did something to her. Yeah. It does something to you. And, and um, I think there's another beautiful example that he gives here about celebrating life. We need to celebrate our mothers. Absolutely. You know, mother's day is not just a Hallmark holiday folks. It's actually something that needs to be real. It's funny yeah. that uh, what they used to say that Father's Day was the day when which had the most number of collect calls made, uh, <laughs> you know, but Mother's Day was the day in which the most number of flowers were sent, you know. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, that seems like it, it seems appropriate <laughs> in a way. Like, Dad, can you can you at least pay for this phone call so that I can call and tell you I love you? Whereas Mom, yeah, there's something yeah. <laughs> entirely for your joy. So. Yeah, yeah. And that's something I think I want, I want to talk about in a future show, actually. Um, you know, because uh, there was another speaker at that camp that we were talking about earlier. And one of the kids asked the other speaker, because the other speaker was thinking was speaking specifically about theology of the body issues uh, for mm-hmm. teens. And one team asked, like, what difference do fathers make in the family? And he said, well, uh, what do you mean? He goes, well, well, I have friends at school. Obviously, this person must go to a public school. And they said, you know, with this whole same sex thing and all that stuff. Well, they said, well, what difference really does having a mother and a father? Why can't you have two mothers? Why can't you have two fathers? What difference does a father or a mother make in a family? Well, I mean, and I thought, that's, a, that's a really good, thoughtful question by a teenager. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what specific gifts... Do men make in that family? Do women make in that family? And what what is it exactly? I mean, beyond a religious context, because we could talk about it from faith and Genesis and all that. But but what concretely, if if a, if a teenager is having a discussion with a with a um, a friend who is not a person of faith, how can they articulate that? specific gifts that fathers and mothers make to a family when their friends are being indoctrinated by a culture says all you in the Beatles song all you need is love doesn't matter if you have two 
women, three women, you know, a parrot, you know, as long as you have love, that's all you need. No. Why is this? And I I think I want to explore that in in a show, in an upcoming show. Just talk about that issue. I think that would be awesome because, yeah, the idea of both complementarity as well as the mm-hmm. distinct. I mean, we've talked before, I know, about feminine genius. What does that mean? Um, but, yeah, that's uh, let's let's put a pin in that and come back to it. How does that sound? <laughs> yeah, excellent. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, so the next section then talks about uh, we talked about a three prong approach, right? Uh, proclaiming. Uh, and the gospel of life, celebrating the gospel of life. And then the third section is serving the gospel of life. So here in paragraph 87, um, John Paul talks about our um, promotion and serving the gospel of life through our support and promotion must be accomplished through the service of charity, which finds expression in personal witness, various forms of volunteer work, social activity, and political commitment. So there's a lot of different avenues here through which we can um, serve the gospel of life. But all of our services, he says, must be profoundly consistent. We have to reject bias and discrimination for all human life at every stage and in every situation. Um, We have to recognize that the church has this rich history of service to life. Uh, And because of that, the the church and its members must develop support programs for mothers in distress and those facing death, especially those who are on the margins. You know, Pope Francis has been, this has been a constant theme of his pontificate, going out to those who are on the margins. And the church needs to be servicing and, and serving those who are, not, you know, just in the mainstream, but also those who are forgotten by society. And that is one of the most powerful witnesses that we as a church have to the gospel of life, to um, bring dignity and respect and love to those who don't get it anywhere else. Um, And so this is kind of what what, uh, John Paul is challenging us to in this section here. Yeah, I know um, in reading this section, you know, it, it, it seems to me that maybe in the back of his mind, John Paul was too was thinking about uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta because yes. they're contemporaries. She was right. alive and working um, when when this was written. So I'm sure when he got to this section about the marginalized, I'm sure he was probably had Mother Teresa in the back of his mind. Right. Uh, obviously, he was doing that on a on a global level. Although I'm I'm sure she never intended that when she started, but but just the impact of what she was doing and how that can can touch people and change lives and and how this religious order came out of that mm-hmm. whole movement to help those that are marginalized, um, and 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 now we have the sisters of the poor and many others who are continuing that that wonderful work. Uh, so we we need to think about how we can do that. Yeah. You know, uh, service life um, in in our own sphere of influence, um, with everything we have going on in our life, trying to balance family and work and prayer and relationships and all that. How can we find time? And, and I would recommend maybe a, a group, a family, or a parish type of activity. We we're purposely going out and working with those in the margins, though, whether those be the homeless which is a huge problem, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, huge problem. It's, uh, well, especially, I mean, in a lot of different places, I'm sure, but especially here in Portland, I, I went downtown for the first time in, I think, 14 months, and I was shocked. I mean, the, downtown was like a homeless camp. You know, it yeah. was. I was just, I was really, I mean, there was hardly anybody there. Uh, I've never seen downtown that empty 
on a Friday, and I, and I was thinking, I got here early because I got to find a place to park. There were tons of places to park. I'm like, wow. And just just to see the changing demographic, I said, you know, and, and how can we respond to that as a people of faith? Instead of just complaining, um, what can we actually do? And I think if we do it as, as families, if we do it as a parish family, not just domestic family, I, I think we can find ways to, to show people, not just talk about it, but to go out there and roll our sleeves up and, uh, and be with the people um, and, and start making a difference like Mother Teresa did. You know, John Paul quotes here a wonderful reflection from St. John Chrysostom in one of his homilies. He writes, do you wish to honor the body of Christ? Do not neglect it when you find it naked. Do not do it homage here in the church with silk fabrics, only to neglect it outside where it suffers cold and nakedness. And that's a challenge that cuts to the heart, doesn't it? We, of course, mm. of course, we recognize the need to honor God with beauty. And of course, beauty is one of those things that everybody can benefit from, you know, not just those of us who are well off and comfortable, but, you know, when anybody walks into a church and sees a beautiful church, it raises our minds and thoughts to God. But at the same time, um, we can't clothe ourselves with with happy thoughts and with, with thoughts of, of uh, grandeur. We need to be clothed with actual clothing. And so I think your your reflection there and your challenge to um, to band together as families, as uh, small groups, as parishes to support the those that are around us in need. That is that's the constant call uh, that is issued to the church to um, to uh, basically reflect Christ. And you know you you reflected on on uh, Mother Teresa there and and kind of what drove her. I'm I'm reminded of praying in a chapel in one of Mother Teresa's communities, and in the chapel is the crucifix on the wall with the words painted next to it, "I thirst," and it is a ministry to the those, of course, Mother Teresa, those who are dying. That was who she and her community primarily ministered to. But thirst is something that is physical. It's also it's a representation of all of the needs that we have. So that's the challenge to serve the gospel of life. But with that, Deacon, we're out of time for our conversation this time, but we will pick it up again next week, of course. Uh, in the meantime, we invite you to connect with us via Facebook. Just type in Living Stones Media into your old uh, Facebook search box, and then uh, we will. Uh, you can also download the previous episodes of the show at materdayradio.com. But Deacon, until we gather next week, might we uh, have a blessing to get us through? May Almighty God bless you and keep you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.